Welcome to the Retzel Health Law Hotspot. Health Law Hotspot is a podcast for physicians and health professionals that covers the legal issues and trends that affect the healthcare industry. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Health Law Hotspot. I'm Erica Adler, shareholder and leader of the Healthcare Practice Group of Retzel and Andres. Today, I'm joined by Angelique Dooley, who's CEO and founder of the Innovators Law Firm. Uh, this is a boutique national and international healthcare regulatory, legal, and advisory practice specializing in healthcare. So, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Erica. And thanks for having me. It's awesome. I'm very excited. And we dabble in much the same area. So, I think this is going to be a great conversation. And what we want to talk about today is legal and operational advice for physicians, whether they're a brand new physician or an experienced physician and how they can go out and start their own practice and right. some of the things they need to be thinking about. So I'm gonna turn it over to you and let you get us started on you know, some of the key points that you like to recommend to doctors when they're taking this step. Well, the first key point that I really like to recommend is do have, um, uh, talk to a lawyer that is specialized in healthcare and actually specializes in physician practices. Um, and also, I, um, I also say, um, bring on your accountant, usually on these conversations, because it, it, there is a lot of issues when you start your own practice on, on um, variety of, of entity setup, for example, the first thing that I said, well, you have to start an entity depending on the state. And if that state has corporate practice of medicine, prohibition or not. Um, so we have to look at what kind of entity structure to form is the first thing. Um, for example, in Missouri, we don't have corporate practice of medicine in Illinois. Uh, we do, as you know, so the entity structures can be, uh, you know, different. And um, the second thing is, you know, where is the doctor licensed? Uh, you know, so sometimes I have physician practices, and especially now with the implementation of telemedicine and dependent on the type of physician it is, of course, a surgical practice, maybe not, but um, say you have, um, you know, primary care or substance abuse doctor, they have several licenses in several states. So they want to have a home state that they're licensed in and, and have a brick and mortar possibly, but then they want to do telemedicine in multiple states. So how do we go about setting up their virtual practices across state states? And I often say now to whether a young physician, resident, graduating and coming out and wanting to start your own practice, which ironically, as much as um, healthcare systems are, are um, uh, saying that they employ almost most of the physicians, but there are more and more young doctors that I see that are coming out and saying, no, we don't want to work for a health system. We want to go out on our own. Is it possible? Um, and so we have all the pieces to try to put it the possibility of yes, this is possible together right, but one of the things is. Um, a PC setup licensure issues. Um, payer contracting, you know, how do we go about payer contracting and that really depends on the patient population and where they want to set up operations. Um, are you going to a rural market? Are you going to an urban desert area? Are you going to, you know, 
any of these locations. So, so you really have to look at how do I set up a practice where I can get payer contracting and can I negotiate that? Um, yeah. And one thing I'll mention is that, and you mentioned this as well, is that you need a lawyer to help you. And we spend a lot of our time fixing what accountants do. Accountants right. are great, but they often are not familiar with corporate practice of medicine right. or, uh, you know, whether you need, for example, PLLC versus an LLC. So right. In Illinois, we have a PLLC statute, but it's new in the past few years, right? Right. So right. Uh, for doctors, maybe they use a PLLC and they can own it through a wholly owned entity. But dentists, for example, aren't allowed to do that. Right. And yet we have accountants setting it up like that all the time, right? And so, uh, you know, you don't want to spend the time and money fixing something. Once you get that tax ID number and you start credentialing, whether it's Medicare or other third-party payers, if you go and change the name, even if it's something as simple as a LLC to a PLLC, you have to let all these parties know. So right. you save yourself time and money to get it right from the start. And we spend a lot of time trying to fix that. One other thing I'll mention, I certainly, and we've talked about this, not a tax person whatsoever, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of physicians don't really even understand the type of entity they've selected. Right. Uh, the difference between like a, a C Corp and an S Corp. And right. they find this down the road when they're trying to maybe sell their practice, not necessarily to private equity, but just to another doctor. And right. suddenly they find out they're a C Corp. <laughs> and, you know, they had not competes in place and, and oh my God, you know, double taxed and, you know, et cetera. Right. So I think, you know, kind of letting your accountant and lawyer guide you and making sure they talk to each other. And when you do choose your accountant, just as, your lawyer should be healthcare related. I like to recommend your accountant be healthcare related. I I 100% agree on that statement because it is very important. There's often accountants that you said that are not healthcare attorneys. They don't even understand um, um, what a MSO structure is or what a MSO PC structure is. And and so it really is helpful to have a healthcare accounting team. Now, I I have people I recommend my doctors go to because it's really important for me to get them to the right person early on. Um, one of the other things that I feel that, you know, uh, I, uh, you know, pair contracts, but okay, your vendors, you're going to have to have now in this day and age, you're going to have to have an EHR. So with the loosening of some Stark and anti-kickback, where are you located? For example, I had a physician up in Michigan and he wanted to uh, start a practice. So he negotiated with the hospital um, on obtaining EHR. Obviously, the hospital wanted to give him the EHR because obviously they're going to get the referrals, you know, to for hospitalization. Um, and then what type of vendors are you going to have, right? Are you going to do telemedicine? Are you going to do remote patient monitoring? Say, hypothetically, you're a cardiologist and you want to do remote patient monitoring. Are you, um, you know, do you want to incorporate a lab into your, 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 um, you know, well, who's your lab vendor going to be? Uh, are you agnostic on that? I mean, there's a variety of considerations on 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 how how those agreements are going to be set up. Um, uh, there's a lot of doctors doing innovative things out there, so they want to do innovative structures, right? right. Um, and, so, and I think you've got to give yourself time too. like, right. you know, obviously just the credentialing piece can take 90 to 120. How long do you usually see the vendor process taking about the same amount of time? About, about 
um, so the vendor process, uh, depending, it takes between 60 to 90 days, I would have to say. And that is a good point to make, Erica, is that they think things are immediate and they don't realize that credentialing takes 90 to 120 days. Right. Vendor agreements, you know, the back and forth financing to even begin the practice sometimes you know some some of the doctors they have backing some of the doctors they don't have backing and so they have to get financing to to you know open their doors so what does that look like and that is again when a healthcare accountant comes into the picture can do projections of what is it going to look like and how much is this going to cost you know depending on what we want what you want to do so i think some of those are immediate things that I look at. Um, right. And then one other thing that I'm thinking of is also the lease space issue yeah. as well, because finding the right Gosh, space yeah. and using your broker, that can take quite a long time as well. And then if you're going to build it out, uh, right. that can take a few months as well. So I, I would say like, you need to, you know, depending on what your needs are, if you make that list, like, okay, I have a space, but I need a lender or, I, I need both, you know, and then I need to credential and, you know, kind of making that list and figuring out your timeline. Um, if you're coming right out of training, you've got to start this while you're still in training, right? right, right you're working right. somewhere, you've got to start while you're working. And I know that's something a lot of doctors worry about. What can they do while they're still working somewhere? Um, are they allowed to start getting credentialed somewhere? Are right. they allowed to rent a space somewhere? Do you come across that issue? I, I do come across that issue. And sometimes the hospitals work with their physicians knowing that they want to, you know, get leave um, eventually, depending on how how things are going to play out in the long run. It's not just like, hey, leave. And then you have to look at their non-compete you know, and, and say, I have, you know, a doctor in Illinois downstate, uh, you know, he wanted to um, leave a large health system, but there is a non-compete that he has to look at. And, you know, how, where is, where, wh what are the parameters behind that? Um, and how to navigate that maybe in the interim while he still wants to open up his practice, right? right. And, and Right. Well, I mean, I, I absolutely agree. The non-compete is so important. What I also find, though, is that uh, sometimes you can work around the non-compete because if they need that type of doctor on the medical staff, they might be willing to say, oh, yeah. you want to be in the area and stay on staff? That's great. The right. other thing is that you do have a fiduciary obligation while you're working somewhere as well as your contractual obligation. So, you know, but that doesn't stop you from being able to form an entity or to do things, prepare your new business. What you can't do is solicit the staff to leave where right. you're working and follow you or to right. take the patient list and start, you know, handing out business cards. But a lot of doctors just think they can't do anything. But if you wait until the day you leave to start doing something, you're going to be like unemployed for quite a long period of time. So, you know, right. talking to your lawyer should give you a little bit of a heads up on what you can and can't do and kind of the time frame for that. Right. And a lot of um, physicians don't realize the cost behind it right the you know they they don't realize how how costly it can be and the planning ahead to do some of these things but um you're right on um you know i did advise him like look you can set up your you know pc we could get that started um you know in the interim he's looking at you know working at government facilities that are taking medicaid and things like that that help him 
in the interim have his, yeah have a have a level of income that he can start opening up his practice or hey some doctors are saying well you know i'm going to go do some locums you know hey, yeah. to earn that money i don't want to go work for a system but i'm going to do some locums elsewhere and i'm going to you know get all of the the um income that i can to start opening up this practice six months out i mean they're really planning that you know so that's very interesting and and it's 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 to me um i i also look at contracts for physicians that are um going to a health system right and working and so i point out the factors that uh if you want to go and leave how do you leave you know so 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 those are some important things that when they're coming out of residency um and they're going to go work for a health system they need contract review as well right. so you know so yeah. uh, that, that exit strategy is really important and, and, and sometimes and, it's not negotiable when you're going to a health system so it's right. just like understand it like don't say you didn't know right like make sure you know what you're signing even if you don't like it and you can't change it right right no one i'm always yeah. shocked by doctors are like i didn't realize i had to go 25 miles away and i was like which part of us reading through that section did you not understand right <laughs> and then they'll say well you know joe biden said that you know he's gonna argue for non-competes not to be enforceable and i'll be right. like well maybe one day that will be the case but you know, it's state law right state. now in most states yeah. is, uh, yeah, definitely depends on the state. But right now, most states, if it's reasonable, it's going to be enforceable. And there's this like myth among doctors that non-competes are just not enforceable. Right. I can't tell you how many times they say, well, my, my mentor said that they're probably not enforceable anyways. Right. And I said, you know, please don't sign this unless you expect to comply because right. the time and money you would spend showing that something's unenforceable is just <laughs> you know, you don't, it's not worth it, you know, assume you're going to comply and maybe we'll work something out, you know. Um, they also have to look at staffing. So, you know, are you going to have, what kind of staff are you going to have? Are you going to have a nurse practitioner? Are you going to have a PA? Are you going to have a medical assistant? What is the, your, you know, what does that look like? Are you going to, are they going to be independent contractors? Are they going to be employees? Do I need a collaboration agreement or a supervision right. agreement? Right. Um, those are and every state is different. Different. Too. Yeah, every state is different. And then we advise our doctors on okay, if you can find an independent nurse practitioner in a state where there's independent nurse practitioners, then it would be beneficial to have an independent nurse practitioner, you know. Right. Uh, um, but those are considerations that we look at and, you know, whether they want their employees to be true employees or do they want them to be independent contractors. And that's, again, where a good tax attorney or a, um, um, yeah. Yeah, accountant comes in and saying like, hey, wait, should, should, you know, I employ these people? Are you going to have a partner? A lot of people don't go out on their own. They have partnerships. So what does that right. look like, you know, in considerations in, in a partnership? Big thing is referrals. If you're a specialist, right? Where are you going to get your referrals from? Um, say you are um, opening up a orthopedic practice or a gastro practice. I mean, I think those are pretty easy, you know, to get referrals once you put your, you know, um, Shingle up, I guess, is the best way to put it. Um, and what organizations, honestly, we we guide our physicians, like what organizations are gonna help me get these uh, referrals. So in Chicago, for example, I talked to the Independent Physicians Organization. 
Um, and they have, it's not an IPA, but they have a collective of physicians that work together and have specialist and uh, primary care and things like that. But they want to be independent. They don't want to be part of a health system. So, you know, how, how, how do they work together and what do the referrals look like in that sense? But contracting is big because we do have to take in consideration of Stark and anti-kickback. And, you, you know, so we have to worry about the vendors that they're using and what does that look like and are they getting referrals from vendors I mean that happens out there, you know. Um, how are they implementing digital health is it going to be direct to consumer or are they going to be working with the facility, so if they're working direct to consumer, what does that look like. Um, what can and can't they do from a regulatory standpoint? Can they text the messages? Can they audio call now? Can they, you know, does it have to be video? HIPAA is obviously a big issue still. So you have to have HIPAA compliance and policies and procedures once you open up the practice. Um, so, you know, these are the type of things that um, we guide our physicians on on a variety of matters, and um, especially when it comes to physician practices. Um, right. And that, that list goes on and on. Yeah, and I mean, like we have know, a checklist, right. but like you know, right. So it, for it people listening, yeah, exactly. I was going to say for people listening, this could seem overwhelming. And so right. I think if we want to kind of break it down, you first need to decide what state do you want to go into, what area are you thinking of. Obviously, most doctors will know their specialty, right? right. So start thinking of your, your lawyer and your accountant. What type of entity am I going to use? Um, and, you know, how do I set it up? Am I going into it alone or am I going into it with a partner, as you mentioned? Right. Do right. I have the funding do I need? And then you kind of break it down to stages, like you right. said. First, there's the, the parts that take the longest have to go the first, right? The, right. So, right. you know, credentialing can take the right. longest, whereas you might be able to very quickly sign a billing agreement or a, you know, other type of agreement, or there might be some setup involved. So you got to kind of know what kind of contracts and how long they're going to take, but it's very much a staging process. I love that word. Um, and not all of it is legal. I, I just want to point out, like, maybe you do a little bit more of this than I do. We definitely work with our clients, but there are people who do the operational side. I don't think not everybody wants to pay legal fees for us to do some of the stuff that's right. not purely legal. And there are some great people that you and I both work with that can help some of this legwork get done yeah, in a I have, manner. Yeah, I have a vendor that I use for credentialing, MPI. Oh, we didn't even mention once you set up the entity, you got to get an MPI set up. You have right. an individual MPI, but if you're, you need a group MPI number. And, you know, I have a gal that I send my clients to that does that. That's a waste of our time to do it. Right. Um, licensure, I have helped uh, doctors with their licensure. But the fact is that, again, is a waste of, it depends, it depends, I'm not going to say it's a waste, it depends on the situation with that particular physician, but, um, you know, licensure uh, can be farmed out, credentialing is an important part of that, right. and fair contracting, and yeah, the lease negotiation piece of it, yeah. entity formation, so there's lots of different People. And I think what you and I are saying the same thing, which is you need to have a good team. Your health right. team can get you to the right people and save you making phone calls and trying to get names of people who can help you. Right. If you're working, you know, we know the right people because we've done this a long time. Right. And so one of the things that we can do is kind of from the start help 
a, a doctor who wants to become independent meet the right people to help them do whatever we aren't going to do for them, right? right. And I think and I have really a, I have a lot of physicians that are in certain specialties that are going on their own, but they're going on their own in digital health, right? right. And so, so how do you put that? We even have a person that, okay, this is the person that you go to for websites and patient portals and implementation of your right. HR backend and all of these things. Please go talk to this person. We have, oh, we didn't even bring up malpractice insurance. One thing that we need to really advise our physicians on and when they're coming out and how does their tail coverage work? Who, you know, who's their broker right now? When is it? you know, I have a broker that I send my people to, to get, um, you know, their malpractice coverage, how much are they going to really need? Those are the, uh, those are issues too, that uh, right. come doc doctors right. are really worried right. about their malpractice coverage. Yeah. And, and what, budgeting type, and expenses right, what type of coverage too, for example, I, if they go on their independent and you have a big practice of, you know, um, they knew they were going to have a big practice. They've completed, let's say hypothetically, they've completed their non-compete. They left a health system. They have a huge practice that they're going to have. Uh, um, they're going to have a lot of staff. Well, you need someone that's a billing specialist that understands billing and coding minds. A lot of doctors make the mistake of having someone, oh, you know, she's my front office desk person, you know, and well, that's not really going to work, you know, so you really need someone that's going to walk you through revenue integrity and billing compliance. Right. Um, you also need somebody that um, I personally walk through my doctors through, especially if they're going independent to get depending on the state, if the state allows it um, to get different writers on their insurance policies of negligent credentialing or um, billings, errors and emissions for audit coverage, you know, because some states allow it, some states don't allow it. So if that state allows it, if that insurance carrier has a protection for that in your state, I would get that because billing is a big Right. Yeah, we definitely there. recommend. I mean, we usually talk with the accountant and kind of talk about what they need. Do they need the general liability? They right. definitely need malpractice. Right. Today, I see a lot more practices buying occurrence coverage uh, yeah. rather than claims made where available. Right. So there's lots of things to talk about. There are like, you know, cybersecurity. Yeah. Cybersecurity, it has to HIPAA, be HIPAA coverage. Like, there's yeah. lots of operational items like that. Um, for sure, which is why I love this staging idea, because what we can do is provide an outline to the clients about what they need to think about and that they have the time to consider all the different steps that might be involved. It sounds easy to say you're going to go out on your own, but you're basically starting a, a business from scratch. Right. You know, if you, one of the things I do like is when a doctor does work with a lender, because a lender really does put the doctor on the spot to answer to a lot, come right. up with. What are the what are your legal fees going to be? What are your accounting fees? What is your insurance fees going to be? And it, it triggers for them often having to work through a lot of this uh, and create that budget and that business plan. And right. a lot of times, like maybe they're not quite listening to what the lawyer's saying, but when the lender's saying we're not giving you money unless you work on these steps, it really often kind of shapes for them what needs to be done. And and right. I think you know getting them to that point. You know, one other thing I want to mention is that. 
it's hard to run an independent practice. That's why a lot of doctors leave independent practice. There are lots of contracts. Uh, there's lots of things to think about, insurance, employees, payroll, um, there's, there's management fees, billing fees, et cetera. There are lots of resources out there and more and more coming every day to help independent practices to be successful, to come together, share resources in some cases. Right, um, right. There's different structures that I see happening and depending on the state to right. bring that together. So if anybody loves the idea of an independent practice, but feels overwhelmed by all the stuff we just talked about and whether they could do it on their own, I really urge them to reach out to one of us or to do their own research about some of those independent organizations that are out there that are really trying to help independent practices survive and thrive. And I love what you're saying about seeing more and more doctors go independent because I'm so much in favor of those independent doctors. And I think the resources are out there to help them do it. Right. I, I mean, and that's the, the other thing is I don't want to scare them with our conversation, <laughs> right? It's like, no, don't be, scared. don't be scared. You know, there are resources out there and you can do this. And, you know, um, just like lawyers, um, there, you know, we can hang up our shingle. There are all these other issues that we have to look at just as a professional. Physicians have to look at the same issues. But, you know, I come from a family of two independent physicians. So, so it wasn't the same in the 80s as it is now. There's a lot more issues. My dad has left uh, independent practice. My mom is still doing it. She's family practice. So she's still doing it. And they've been in the same town for 40 years, you know. So, but I come from that background. So I'm always encouraging uh, that out there. I feel like sometimes I'm saying that I'm taking one one uh, doctor uh, in, in one physician independent at a time, you know, because um, I think there is an opportunity out there and there are resources. I just talked to a startup. He's started by an independent primary care practice physician, and it's almost like the Shopify uh, for physician practices. So, yeah. And so I, you know, one other thing I'll mention is that there are doctors looking to retire who have run successful practices that don't want to sell to private equity. And so if you're like overwhelmed by the idea of starting your own practice, there are practices available that you could step into and acquire as well. Primary care, uh, pediatrics, and other types of specialties. My mom is, is yeah. at 71, 72. I don't know what she is right now. I don't know. She's going <laughs> to like you advertising. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but she's like, she doesn't want to sell to private equity or anything like that. And so um, she's like, yeah, somebody gave me their practice. I'm, you know, I'm trying to find the right doc because she loves her patients. You know, right. so there are people out there like that. You're absolutely yeah. right. But there I, is I know several who are just waiting for the right person to come along. So, you know, you could start your own practice, but there's also other opportunities if it's too right. overwhelming. You still end up in the same place, which is owning your own practice. Right. And so it's just the, the road might vary depending on how you right. get there. But I think, right. you know, your lawyer, your accountant, your team can help you own that practice that you dream right. of. Right, 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 so, right. Right. And even if somebody gives you a practice, there are some issues on that. So like, you know, you have to still probably engage a lawyer, maybe not to the ex extent, but there are some, there might be some cleanup. There might be some, you know, right. regulatory, hey, you know, maybe you should be implementing these type of things into the practice. So you, even right. if somebody's giving you something out there, don't, don't 
not seek out, you know, someone's f familiar with healthcare regulations right. and things like that. And, and you might not be given the practice. You might have to buy it. Right. You know, which you were going to borrow money anyways, right? So yeah. the same. I mean, that's a whole other podcast. So you have to yeah. come back and then we can talk about buying physician practices. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> so I think we've probably exhausted this topic and overwhelmed everybody listening. Do you have any last words you want to say? Well, uh, don't be overwhelmed. Contact one of us and we will walk you through it, you know, and we, we will, you know, it's 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 easy. It can be easy. It just takes some planning and we want to help you with that plan. If you have this dream to do this, we want to help you fulfill your dream. And that's my ending words there. Great, great way to end it. Yeah. Well, thanks, Angelie, for joining us. And thanks, all of you. This has been the Health Law Hotspot. You can catch more of our podcasts at ralaw.com. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. The Retzel Health Law Hotspot is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Retzel Health Law Hotspot does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Retzel Health Law Hotspot should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have.